I love baptisms, and I love particularly our service of baptism because it says exactly what it is. Look at the words that we started with today. The acclamation, which was a longer one. It's on page two in your service. First of all, we, we said, Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then we moved right into the statement of what we're declaring, right? What was it that we declared? What was it that we declared? You all said it. Say it with me together again. There is one body, and you can say, it, say the whole thing with me. There is one body, one spirit. There is one hope in God's call to us. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, the Father of all. Those, two, those sentences are taken directly from Scripture. They're taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and also referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the Ephesians chapter 4 passage is this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. St. Paul's point here to the church in Ephesus and Corinth is the same that baptism is the gate to eternal life and to a life with the Holy Spirit forever. There's three things that I want to point out in the text this morning, and that's number one, that baptism is that gate, that the waters of baptism are the beginning of new life. Number two, that baptism gives us the great generator. Right? Now you might think that sounds weird. What is a generator? Some, of, some people are very familiar with that, unfortunately, in Louisiana right now. The power goes out, and you better start up the generator so you have power, right? The old word for that was dynamo, right? And that's actually the same word that's used with the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the dunamis. And number three, that holy baptism is the beginning, that it's how a lifelong process of death, and the rebirth begins. So the gate, the generator, the beginning. In the Ephesians passage, God calls us to one call, and that is the call of the church. And the church is, the call rather, is not to our parents, it's not to the priests, it's to everyone who is part of, who is to be part of the body of Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us in St. John's Gospel, this is chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whether actual babies or not, 
at the time of baptism, all baptismal candidates, everyone who is to be baptized is like a little baby. Is like a little baby. Whether you are a little baby, as Joseph is, or whether you're 85 years old, we all come to the gate as babies. What do I mean by that? Well, as our Reformation fathers said of the historic faith in Article 13 of the 39 Articles of Religion, good works neither make men meet to receive grace or to deserve grace on congruity. Neither make men meet to receive grace or deserve grace on congruity. What's that saying? What if we, how would we put that in simple 21st century language? That you can't do anything, you can't bring anything to the gate that warrants you being let in. That there's nothing we bring to baptism. There's nothing we bring to baptism. Like babies, like babies, Joseph has brought nothing today but himself. And so it is with the rest of us. So it is with the rest of us. We are completely dependent on God's grace at baptism. Of course, this is scriptural too. Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, 8, we read this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So it is that baptism, this gate, is God's gift to us. And to underscore this point, that we all come as babies, that we all come with nothing in our hands, the Book of Common Prayer and its great wisdom assigned the Gospel passage today. From Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Let's look at it again together. Because you might have scratched your head at first as to why this passage would be chosen. Perhaps not. Perhaps you've heard this before. But let's look at it. It's very short. And they were bringing children to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, our translation says that Jesus was indignant. Jesus was indignant. It's a good translation, but there's more behind that as you might suspect. The Greek word is agonakateo, agonakateo, which means not just to be indignant, but it comes from a root word, agon, meaning to be grieved or to be sorely displeased. That people keeping children from him makes him not just indignant, but displeased and sad, sorely displeased, grieves his heart. So why is he grieved and displeased? Well, we can't read the mind and the exact thoughts of God, but he does tell us in this passage, right? What does he go on to say? What does he go on to say? That children are the model for coming into the kingdom. That indeed, unless we come to the kingdom as children, we cannot enter it. Look at his exact words. Truly I say to you, whoever does not, number one, receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not, number two, 
enter it. Whoever does not receive it shall not enter it. And so children are the model for all believers to receiving the kingdom of God, to entering into the gate, as it were, into that kingdom. Notice, again, it's entirely by God's grace, entirely by God's action, that this goes on. Just as in the Old Testament, when babies were circumcised on the eighth day, they had no say in the matter, so it is with holy baptism, that this is entirely an action of God's grace to receive the kingdom of God. Notice that they don't just enter it, right? But they receive it. The Greek here means to take in the kingdom of God. To depend utterly on God's goodness and love. For it's by God's goodness and love that the gate is opened. Which takes us to the second point of the sermon. Number two, that baptism is a gift, not just a gate, but a gift that generates life in a person. The generator. The Holy Spirit is that great generator. Regenerating life, to be precise, and to use prayer book language. We say this in the prayer today. Look with me on page 11. What we're going to pray over Joseph today. On page 11. Uh, Lawrence changed the pagination since I wrote my sermon. It's in here. Trust me. We will say it. Pay attention to it when we get to it. But we ask the Lord to regenerate Joseph. We ask the Lord to regenerate Joseph. The most important part of baptism is this gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself is received by the person that receives Holy baptism. And therefore, in the Holy Spirit coming into that person, so the kingdom of God comes into that person. Do you see how profound this is? Like when we think about things and entering things, we think about coming through maybe those doors into the church, right? And we enter into the church. But what Jesus is saying is we don't just enter into the kingdom of God, but it's like the whole kingdom of God goes... Right? With that sound and everything? No, that sound's not there. But into the heart, into the very person himself. The Holy Spirit, God himself and his kingdom, dwells within us. And there's things that that kingdom and that Holy Spirit does for us. He brings us to life. He restores us back to how we were supposed to be without sin. It's a gradual thing, but it starts at holy baptism. Jesus himself tells us this in John chapter 6, verse 63. Very simple verse where he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. Period. And St. Paul expands on it in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, where he says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, the word life here, used both by Jesus and St. Paul, 
is a different word than we generally think of life. When we think about life, we're generally thinking to be physically alive, right? There's two Greek words for life. There's one for that, to be physically alive, right? means that you're alive and kicking, right? Bios is that word. But there's this other word, zoe, zoe, which means to be spiritually alive. And guess which word Jesus and St. Paul use? I bet you can guess. Zoe. It's the second one. To be spiritually alive. And so the Holy Spirit brings back to life in us that gift that sin had marred. That sin had marred. This makes sense in that God is, in fact, the author of all life both biology, bios, and spiritually, Zoe. Jesus is saying that just as children enter the kingdom of God and receive the kingdom of God, so must we all have this Holy Spirit. But what of repentance? For Jesus and the testimony of Scripture are also clear that repentance is necessary, right? This is summed up well in Luke chapter 13, verse 3 where Jesus talking says to his disciples, unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' ministry, at the very beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, from that time Jesus began saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I ended last week's sermon talking about a way of life, and a way of death. The quote is actually from the first teaching of the apostles. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, says the Didache. And the difference between them is great. But the child who's baptized can't repent on his own, right? Joseph can't repent on his own. What are we to make of that? Well, St. Augustine clarifies for us this point when he writes in his sermon, when any people see who are already of age to make decisions of will approach the sacraments of the faithful, that is baptism, they cannot begin new life unless they repent of the old. It is only babies who are exempt from this kind of repentance when they're baptized. After all, they're not yet capable of making free choices. He goes on to say that in their place, their guardians, their parents, their godparents make those choices for them. But that doesn't mean that they themselves never make that choice. For it's the expectation that the child will grow to lead a life of a Christian and then to make that choice for himself. Just in this way, baptism is the beginning That's the third point, the beginning of a lifelong process of death to his fallen nature, to rejecting and renouncing as we will today, as the godparents on Joseph's behalf will today, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all of its lies, and of turning and professing Christ. Scripture is replete with chapter and verse in both Old and New Testaments that talks about unless one turns from sin, disobedience, sinful nature, and wickedness, he cannot be saved. And so that 
simply comes later in the child's life. It comes after baptism for the infant. It comes before baptism for the adult. The good news of the gospel is that a person cannot make up for his sin. Does that strike you as funny? I didn't misspeak. The good news of the gospel is that a person cannot make up for his sin. Indeed, he need not make up for his sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ has done it for him. Jesus Christ has paid the price, made up for sin and then some. Jesus has done all that for Joseph and for each one of you who is baptized. All the person must do is turn from their sin and receive God's gift, like a child receiving a gift. Today, Joseph begins this life in community with you and me. But each time we welcome a child, our Lord Jesus and his church would remind us that this new life is a gift for all of us. Throughout the Christian walk, all of us come to the gift of baptism with nothing. In the ancient church, the child was baptized naked to make this point. And indeed, adults were baptized naked too in the ancient church. That you take nothing with you into the waters of baptism. You can offer nothing but yourself and your birthday suit. <laughs> Do you see the imagery? Do you see the point? You bring nothing with you, but you come out with everything. As the person would come out of the water, he would be clothed with a white robe. It's where we get our white robes that we wear on Sunday mornings. And today you'll see that marked by the handing over of a ceremonial, looks like a napkin, right? The napkin's handed to one of the godparents, symbolizing the new life that the child has. Martin Luther once said at the end of his life, these in fact were his last words, we are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. This is true. Whether you want to think about it as being a beggar or being a child, the point remains the same. We bring nothing to the cross. We carry, carry nothing to the baptismal font. The ability to repent is a gift itself, a grace of God. And He alone sets the conditions for what is right and wrong. But He also alone pays the price for our sin. God has chosen to save human beings and to come to children. At the end of today's passage, He takes the children and He blesses them. It's a beautiful image, right? They're not just with Him, but He takes them and blesses them. And he took them in his arms and blessed him, laying his hands on them. Today is a day for you also to remember this gift given to you. After baptism, we're going to leave the font open today and in place. And as you exit the church, I invite you to come to the font and to simply dip your finger into the font and make the sign of the cross. Or... Perhaps you want to do this, if this is too Catholic for you, right? Or maybe you just want to put it on your head. 
whatever you wish to do. Remind yourself that you came to this font. You came to the font of the church with nothing and gained everything. Blessed are those who approach the font and the table with the trust of a child every week. Blessed are those who receive Holy Communion in that spirit every week. For to you and to me, Jesus has opened the gate to escape from hell and death and enter into his kingdom. And he gives us the constant regeneration of the Holy Spirit if we're willing to constantly receive him. And he has given us a new beginning. Praise God. A new beginning to choose the way of life over the way of death each and every day. And the grace to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.